Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Can Do Pod Things. I'm the Annalise one. I'm the Emily one. And this is our podcast where we talk about the podcast by Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and Amanda Doyle called We Can Do Hard Things. So, hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Our episode is coming a little later in the week than it typically does because, you know what, like, life just happens mm-hmm. and stuff happens and but we're get, we're we're here now and we're excited and we are thrilled to be talking about attachment theory yay again and Deja vu. right <laughs> um and how it relates to friendships not just our romantic partnerships and i also love as we are going to discuss how it really is related to your own self as well um emily do you have a quote of the week no i do (laughs) i do um i will admit that i picked this quote of the week after listening to the episode Mm -hmm. but i i am really into it the truth is belonging starts with self-acceptance your level of belonging in fact can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance because believing you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. Can you guess who said that? Is it Brené? It is Brené Brown, our lady of peace and vulnerability, Brené. And that's just going to really tie in so well to the stuff later on. Yeah, great kickoff. Thank you. Okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I can. Okay. Uh, the first thing that I have written down is connection and loneliness and how they impact health. Ooh. How loneliness is a major predictor of poor health. Yeah. I, I That was one of the things I had um, written down as well is like our social connections are better at predicting how long we live. Mm-hmm. And loneliness is as toxic as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Yeah. I'd really like to see the the, the study, the research on mm-hmm. that, like to, to know how they how came up with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I believe it. Mm-hmm. I just would like to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I just wanted – I the very first thing that Glennon said was, I avoided food and people to control. Mm-hmm. People avoidance – I'm not some kind of alien that doesn't need friendship, sex, or food. I have met my fair share of folks who, for very good reasons, feel like they're an alien or they're there's something wrong with them or they're the exception mm-hmm. and that they're fine without – they're better off without people. Right. And I understand that that is a coping mechanism and a survival skill that has kept them alive. But as we just discussed, we know that that's only going to keep them alive for so long. Mm -hmm. And as we often say on this show, you're not special (laughs) in that you you need connection and friendship just as much as the next person Mm -hmm. as the next person as the next person. I also wanted to point out that Marissa G. Franco wrote a book called Platonic. And I've added that to my list of things to read. She and also they phrase it as how we're talking about how our attachment styles keep us lonely. Yeah, I don't even know if we've mentioned until right now which episode we're doing. Oh, right. No, we haven't. <laughs> would you like to would you like to mention that? Sure. So, everybody, we are going to be discussing 
the very first episode that they recorded with Marissa G. Franco. And next week, we are going to cover her second one. Um, What was the title of this first one? I was just going to ask you that. The title of this episode was How to Fix Our Loneliness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you Does that have an episode number next to it? That is... It's fairly recent. Yeah. I don't see it where I'm looking right now. Okay. It's it's been... it, it was recorded on February 14th. I was going to say it's within the last month. Yeah. So, oh, f- yeah, for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. And so. then two days later, The Secret to Making and Keeping Friends, also with Dr. Marissa Franco, who we will um, circle back to next week. And yeah, that's spoiler the episode alert, that we're going to next discuss week. next week. Mm-hmm. Because I thought naively that I might be able to just sprinkle in a few things from that episode into this episode. And then I actually listened to it and it is definitely a stand alone. I was going to listen to it before I came today, but I didn't have time. And so Mm -hmm. I was really hoping you would decide that we could maybe just cover it in another. Yep. So yeah, loneliness is as toxic as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Who knew? Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I just think that that's it makes me think so much about COVID and mm. how separated everyone was in some ways, but also for the people who were isolating with their families. Mm. COVID just wasn't an umbrella blanketed experience for everyone. Right. There were some people who felt a greater sense of connection mm-hmm. because they were able to spend that time with their families when they may have otherwise been working. And for other people, it was as isolated as they've probably ever been or felt in their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Or I, th- you know, and I, I think about the people who were isolated with people who weren't safe, safe, mm-hmm. and how some of us find ourselves in relationships where we actually feel lonelier mm-hmm. because there's a disconnect between us and whoever we're with, whether it's because there's active abuse or just grown apart or whatever it is. And how damaging that must have been as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just a reminder that when we talk about things like that whole COVID experience, not to assume that everybody's experience was our personal experience. Right. I also, it makes me think about the population of people that I work with, um, people who are disabled, and all of the ways that they're isolated and disconnected from community not just because there's a gap in in their ability to relate to other people or people's ability to relate to them, but also physical resources, financial restrictions mm-hmm. that are placed on them. Like if people want to draw certain um, government benefits, you can only work a certain amount of hours and how frustrating it can be when you have someone who's like, they they need to have their hours under a certain number, but they, they want to keep working and they feel like they need to keep working. And I had a, a voc rehab person talk about it one time and then it made so much sense. Like we work and we we find value and pride in ourselves for doing our own jobs. Of course, uh, people with disabilities are going to want to do that too. Mm-hmm. And how important it is for them to be connected to their community in some way, in the yeah. way that we connect to our community by and large is usually through our jobs mm-hmm. and how many friendships and relationships and connections we make through our jobs. I mean, like that is one of the foundational principles of this friendship. Right. And that not just affecting emotion and behavior, but also physical health. Mm-hmm. 
And is it then it really a wonder that why so many of our folks in disabled communities, especially ones since COVID that have been more isolated because they were 10 times more likely to, to, to get COVID, why there are so many health problems, not just one. There's, you know, a multitude of things going on with people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty common for there to be multiple like comorbidities, whether it's mental health or physical health or both. Of course, when they're isolated and your ability to form connections amongst people is seriously limited mm-hmm. a lot of times. And I just, I just want to get my bullhorn out and be like, hey, did you guys know this? Like, like, we, let, we should, let's do something about that. Right. But like, what, what do we do? Well, bringing it to consciousness mm. is a start. Mm-hmm. As with so many of the things that we talk about, bringing it to consciousness is a start. I, I think a very obvious answer is, uh, is continuing with inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really into this idea of hooking up a network of um, volunteer positions, especially with nonprofits for people with disabilities because that is a way for them to go out and do a job, not be exploited, make connections, be involved in their community, get out of the house and also not jeopardize their finances. Mm-hmm. And I that's kind of been like one of my own personal missions for um the Leadership Lafayette volunteer expo that's mm-hmm. a part of the leadership Lafayette group that I've been in. That's just my phone. Don't worry. It does that all the time is the attracting either people with disabilities themselves or agencies that commonly work with and, and provide services, especially daily services to people with disabilities so that when we're sitting in these meetings going, okay, well, I, I, Bob, I know that you want to work more hours, but really, truly, physically and emotionally, you can't work more hours. And then also, you can't work more hours if you want to maintain this um, this benefit. Mm-hmm. So how about volunteer work? And then everyone's always like, well, I guess we could go to the do- the dog shelter and walk dogs, which is a great activity for someone who likes animals. Mm-hmm. But if they don't like animals, it's not. But then we don't really know, well, we, what, where else can you volunteer? Turns out there's lots of places sure. you can do that. So I'm really excited for this Leadership Lafayette Volunteer Expo in May mm-hmm. in hope to create like a little network there or at least start the idea of a network there within the disability community. Yeah, even community. creating a list of possibilities. Right. I mean, the Wabash Center is going to be there, one of the main facilities that um, that provides a nonprofit service. To the community, I know they have registered to be there. Mm-hmm. So, I just also I, I'm probably going to reach out to whoever is in in charge of that, yeah, of the Wabash Center's booth and talk to them about also possibly viewing it as an attendee rather than what we call a vendor. Mm-hmm. That's an exciting initiative. Yeah, I I, I'm hopeful for mm-hmm. it. Thank you. I'm also thinking as we were talking about COVID specifically, but just life in general, the use of social media Mm. and how it is marketed as a way to connect. Research shows us that it is often a way of 
disconnecting Mm -hmm. and what Dr. Franco says about that. Yeah. She talked about displacement theory, right? And Mm -hmm. that, that exact concept of if you use it in one way, then it becomes a hindrance. But if it has the potential to be used another way, it can actually do well. And it's just, I wrote, how do you use the tool? It is. It's exactly that. If you are scrolling through, comparing yourself to other people and feeling like you always come up short, then spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. that's going to make you feel more isolated, more Mm -hmm. disconnected. If you're using it as a way to find commonality with people, make plans with people. I see that you like to do this thing. I also like to do that. What if we hang out and try this hobby together, whatever it mm-hmm. is? It it's it's almost like there's really something to this whole theory of garbage in garbage out mm-hmm. or dare I say affirmations, beliefs or practiced thoughts, mm-hmm. all the bingo board items, because she talks about this again later on in the episode. Like you get the energy you put in. Mm-hmm. If you go into a friendship, assuming that this person's going to fuck you up, that person is going to put off energy that they're going to fuck you up. Self-verification theory. Mm-hmm. 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 I have that written down too. Gravitating to people who confirm what we believe about ourselves even when it's negative. Right. You're, um, yeah, right there. Either positive or negative. People who can't hear I love you or are co- uncomfortable with words of affirmation because they don't believe it. Yeah. And then it feels inauthentic mm-hmm. and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. And, and the, or that also makes you feel like the other person isn't credible or yeah. trustworthy. Either because like, you're how lying can they not see me. what a piece of shit I am? Yeah. Either you're lying to mm-hmm. me or you just haven't seen this part of me that is going to make you run from me. Mm-hmm. And once you see it, then this whole thing is over. And how that's tied to then if whether or not you genuinely like yourself. But um, it's just it – is, it is what you put into it. Like you create your own reality. I don't know why this seems so groundbreaking. Right? But just assuming when you go into a new situation that people are going to like you. Yeah. Well, and I think because – Again, it's about the tool mm-hmm. and it's about balance and you you can't live in that right thinking mm-hmm. brain all the time, that character four, because you, if you assume that no one's going to hurt you, the fact of the matter is there are people who are going to hurt you mm-hmm. and that opens you up to being hurt. And so how do we know who we can be vulnerable with? How right. do we know who, but starting, still starting from a, a base point of assuming intent. Yeah. And I'm going to assume that you aren't here to hurt me mm-hmm. or you I, – I really like the idea of generosity in that, that you're doing the best that you can. Yeah. Because then that also the, – the other part of that is – and if this is the best that you can do, you don't have enough – you don't have the skills. Mm-hmm. When you fall short, you don't have the skills – to do it. It's not personal. That's how I like that to keep it from making us all just these raw, completely vulnerable, exploitable little balls of energy running around. And I wonder if you go into a situation and you just tell yourself, I'm going to assume that the people I'm going to encounter are going to like me. Yeah. Does that free up 
more energy in your mm. brain to decide, do I like these people? Oh, right. Yes. That is something that I spend very little time on. I'm so consumed with what are people going to think of me that I don't think I spend enough time asking myself, do I even like this person? That harkens back to Glennon talking about how these these mothers would get together and do stuff without her. And she would say, well, why don't you ever invite me? Mm -hmm. And they would say, well, because you just... You're not not approachable. approachable. And Liz Gilbert says, do you want to be approached? And she's like, no. No. Then good job. Then you don't have to worry about, do these people like me? Mm -hmm. It's whether or not I, do I even want to be here to begin with? Do I want to be accepted by these people? You know what that requires though? Hmm. A level of self-acceptance and Mm self-understanding and knowing who you are and being okay with that. Right. It's just that. It's just as simple as that. Except it's not that fucking simple. And it requires women in particular to set aside all of the messaging that we've been given mm-hmm. about how our role is to be a servant to other people. Yeah. And to be a means of making others feel cared for. And mm-hmm. Glennon talks about how. And she asks, has friendship been hidden from us by capitalism? Mm-hmm. Because friendship's kind of hard to make money off of. And and then Marissa starts talking about as women develop more rights and they weren't being coerced into marriage, how threatening that is to the patriarchy because women didn't need men or a marriage in order to build that safety net and have connections around them. They didn't need a man or a husband to provide them with connections to the community. They mm-hmm. were able to do it themselves. And that that is a huge threat to the patriarchy and that structure. Um, and she's she start she talked about how it's this started, they saw this in the starting in the 50s. Prior to the 50s, leisure time was was mostly spent outdoors and within groups of yeah. people. You know, like like I just for whatever reason always think of um like all those Victorian paintings or pictures of women playing croquet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sitting around, like mm-hmm. playing croquet, sipping their cocktails or whatever. Or their, you know, um, sports, obviously, or knitting yeah. circles or quilting bees mm-hmm. or all of these collective activities that that we would do. And as that started fading away in the 50s, it coincides with the development of the television. Mm-hmm. Um, people were spending more time inside watching their their televisions and not as much outside being not only around other people, but just like being in mm-hmm. in nature yeah. and, and that physical grounding, literal grounding of being in connection with the earth. That started creating an issue. And then in 2012, they saw another rise in this or decline, I guess. It just depends on what you're mm-hmm. measuring. And that coincides with the smartphone. Yeah. And I think that it's not any it's not news to anyone how the smartphone and our attachment to technology and social media can be insidious insidious and just completely the opposite of what we want for it to mm-hmm. be. There that um documentary um is it the social dilemma mm-hmm. and talking about the algorithms and see listen this this is what happens when you try to 
automate too much. Yeah. So we said earlier, it's not necessarily about the tool, but how you use it. But also, let's not forget, Zuck, that (laughs) you are creating this tool in order to suck people in. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we're not letting social media companies off the hook because they are definitely doing all they can to keep you glued to your phone in all the wrong ways. Right, because capitalism. Mm -hmm. I did read a um, read a book once that that was about marketing or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it I thought it was interesting because it was the um, how apps and cellular phones were designed to keep you on them, mm-hmm. and then watching the social dilemma and the depiction of how like oh it's been thirty seconds since she's checked her phone or all these algorithms that are developed. And I don't, I, I think, I don't think that's crazy. I, I think they're legit. Yeah. Um, how scary that is. That documentary really changed my thinking in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. because before that I did think, well, it's, it's the user, right? It's not the device. I'm in control. Yeah. And I did not realize how many things were going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I turned off notifications for all of my apps except for like, I think the most essential ones because I started to realize like, why is why do I have 27 notifications from Pinterest? Mm-hmm. Like the only time I ever open Pinterest is when I need a recipe yeah. that I saved 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Why, why do I have all these notifications from them? Look at me, look at me. Yeah, like, hey, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this. This might be something you're interested in. And they're not wrong. It is yeah. something I'm interested in. But did I need to know that I was interested right. in that? No, I didn't. Because I I, I could be here in the real world mm-hmm. talking with you instead of stuck in a scroll hole, which is so easy for me to do as someone who <laughs> has issues with like dopamine regulation and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And I'm not unique in that. Yeah, it's like playing the slots. Yes. I was talking to someone the other day about the automated um, roulette machines, the the computerized roulette machines, and how I really liked them because I, I could I figured out at least the one that I was playing at. I kind of figured out how it worked mm-hmm. because I would be putting in I would put in black twenty one because that was my favorite number. Twenty one is my favorite, and, and it's black, and it would never hit, never hit, never hit, even though I would play it. So then I'd wa- I walked away and I came back probably about 30, 35 minutes later and I looked and it keeps these stats of like, which numbers are on fire? Guess what number was on fire at that point? <laughs> Black 21. Because it was like trying to get me to go mm-hmm. to come back and like, mm-hmm. so you can, you can influence. Right. Though, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I would ever do that at a slot machine in Las Vegas because I feel like that sounds like some illegal shit or stuff that's going to get you beat up. But I like that mm-hmm. because you it's it's automated in a way that you know how to predict. Yeah. That's a tangent. What was The Social Dilemma streaming on? Do you remember? Was it Netflix? Netflix, yeah. There you go, folks. If you're interested, we recommend. Ooh, can we talk about um, when she says something about uh, – there are inadequate words for friendships. Yes. I really liked that one a lot. Good company versus good friendship. Yes. How do you know if someone, if your relationship 
in connection to someone is because they make good company or mm-hmm. because they make a good friend. And that just kind of reminds me so much of tears of friendship. That's another thing. I'm sorry, social media. I'm just not ready to get off your back yet. Mm-hmm. But it's really distorted the way that we use the word friend. Yes. Because the list of people in your social media that you are connected to are called your friends. Mm-hmm. And how many of those people are actually your friends? Right. 0.1% maybe? <laughs> I also think it's kind of interesting or funny or whatever. I don't know. And it's just an observation that there are our friends on our Facebook lists or, or you know, um, Instagram or whoever. And some of, but some of those people we genuinely form friendships with that we've never met in real mm-hmm. life. Like they are genuinely friends. Yeah. They really are. There is an authentic connection there. That does harken back to how do you use it? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I would like, I would like to talk a little bit about the tears of friendship. Yes, please. Um, I was actually not really into this until someone had brought it up to me that they had done it. And I thought it was really weird because they like sat down and wrote, wrote down what all their, what tears of friendship they had. And, um, we're, we're saying tears like T-I-E-R, um, not tears of joy. Um, and I thought that was weird. I was like, who thinks about friendship that way? Like that's so literal and concrete. And then when I went to do it for myself, I was like, oh no, I kind of like this actually, Mm -hmm. because it helps me identify who has earned the right to what level of energy from me. Yeah. And, um, if you don't mind, I would like to go over my tears of friendship. Please do. Okay. Um, I am very weird, obviously. And I, I labeled mine based on how closely I could allow that person to my body mm-hmm. or like to stand next to me. Um, so the the <clears throat> innermost tier is shoulder. The next tier is elbow and then there's wrist and then there's arm. In my shoulder tier, <clears throat> I trust this person with my shadiest shit, my innermost feelings, my vulnerabilities, insecurities, and that they will tell me when something is wrong. They will reliably participate in difficult conversations with limited curiosity, limitless curiosity. They will not abandon me. I can reliably call them in an emergency. We value each other's needs so much that we go to great lengths to support each other. I can trust them to always have my back and they will fight alongside me and not against me. They do not judge me and nothing will affect their love for me. Them's is the ride or die. In case you hadn't figured it out, folks, Emily is a shoulder friend. Hey. Hey, hey. (laughs) Um, Then elbow is like, it's very similar, but some of the qualities are removed. I trust this person with my vulnerabilities, innermost feelings and insecurities. They will almost always tell me when something's wrong. They're very likely to participate in difficult conversations with, with a significant amount of curiosity. Probably won't abandon me without explanation. They're unlikely to do that. I can call them for support and they will respond in an emergency. We mutually value each other's needs and we'll put significant effort into supporting each other. I can trust them to have my back and they will fight alongside me, not against me. They don't judge me except under extremely personal personal circumstances and it will not affect their love for me. All of these, I, I kind of think of them as like reward levels, like you're like a platinum member or diamond <laughs> member or a gold member and they all build on each other. Mm-hmm. So I start with like 
these are the people that I trust the mm-hmm. most and that I, I count on the most and they count on me the most. We provide this service to Bubble each other. Love. Bubble of love. Exactly. And then kind of start either taking away some of those or just scaling it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. All still within a place of generosity and like, listen, I know that – because let's be real. There are going to be p- people who cannot love us as much as others. Taking away something doesn't have to be punitive. It's right. just adjusting. Right. Like there are there may be people who are just like in a place in their life where they can't accept one – aspect of my personal like mistakes or flaws or whatever because it triggers something in them that's okay it they they are able to i trust them enough to be able to go hey i still love you but i can't participate in this particular habit of yours mm-hmm. versus then a different level which is my wrist tier I trust this person enough to be vulnerable when it's important and with my unfiltered authenticity. Because to be honest, that's pretty much just everyone I come across mm-hmm. in that I, I try not to hide my vulnerability or my authenticity. I don't ever hide my authenticity. Vulnerabilities, obviously, you still have to – there's like a line there. You still have to earn a little bit of it. Yeah. And they'll, they might tell me when something is wrong. They're willing to participate in some difficult conversations with a little bit of curiosity Maybe they are not consistent in that or maybe, you know, they're only willing to entertain so far before they shut down. They will need space and contact is unreliable. They may respond to an emergency if it's significant but inconsistently. We respect each other's needs but are unlikely to adjust our own to accommodate them. They may have my back. They may choose to fight alongside me but their loyalty is to themselves. They may judge me under circumstances, and this judgment may cause them to reevaluate, reevaluate their feelings towards me. Again, it's 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 fairness. It's you know whatever wherever whatever place in life they're in, mm-hmm. their best is going. It has a limit, and then arm's length is pretty much just. I think that good company. Mm-hmm. I trust this person with my unfiltered authenticity. They won't tell me when something's wrong. They may grudgingly participate in difficult conversations, but they'll be defensive. They can't respond in an emergency. They respect my basic needs for safety, but that's basically it. Mm -hmm. They may have my back, but they're just as likely to fight against me. They'll often judge me and they will distance themselves from me. Again, there's nothing wrong with those people or that qualitatively wrong with that friendship. It's just where they're at in, in life. And these are somewhat fluid. Like you can move through Mm -hmm. the tiers of friendship based on like the data of like how we treat each other and how you respond. And if I'm trying to decide, are you a wrist friend or are you an elbow friend? And you do a lot. It's marble jar and game theory. It's how many marbles do you add to my jar? And Mm -hmm. the more that you add to my jar, the higher up in the friendship tier you get. I think that's one of those things that's, really helpful for someone like me to know how much can I trust this person and and what kind of interactions can I have with them? Because one of the hardest parts about learning friendships for me was I just kind of assumed everybody was my friend. And if I had a connection with someone, like I could trust them. And like mm-hmm. when we really vibed with each other, it would be, it, it'd be great. And then these things would happen and I would just be like, oh my God. Because if you only have one word for it. Right. You're either my friend or you're my enemy, right? Yeah. You're either for me or against mm-hmm. me. 
there's no nuance to right. it. <clears throat> Work friends and, or versus quote unquote real friends mm-hmm. versus class, like my like college friends or school friends or parents of other children in my classroom that I have become friendly with because mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time in vicinity of each other. Why are they all called friends? Yeah. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. If you're someone that has names for types of friends or perhaps come from a culture or have a history with a different language than English that does have these, please let us know because I'm super happy to start working those into my vocabulary because it makes sense. The limits of my language are the limits of my world. You can email us at podthingspodcast at gmail.com or you can check us out on Instagram at we can do pod things. I love, at least as a starting point for me, just distinguishing good friends and good company. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's that like, it's one of the statistical concepts too, where it's, it's not like mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. but like all, so some ducks are white and some ducks are black. And just because some ducks are black does not mean they're not ducks or something like that. You know, like <laughs> okay. good company is not necessarily a good friend, yeah. but a good friend is always going to be good company. Mm-hmm. There you go. She did it. This is what happens when I do this on a Saturday morning. I get real rambling. <laughs> um, she goes into attachment style and um, does her little exp- – her, her little. I don't mean that as like a condescending way, but does her, her explanation of – what an attachment style is. I want to note that she really only talks about three, secure, anxious, and avoidant. Um, and really, as we know, that that fearful or disorganized is really just both anxious and avoidant combined into one mm-hmm. very privileged little package. She talks about it's our template for how we expect people will treat us. And sometimes the that. template becomes more true than the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When That's you get whole... too attached, because I like this. She talked about attachment is a series of predictions. Yes. And when you become too attached, I didn't do that on purpose. It's <laughs> just the right word. It is. To your series of predictions you maybe stop seeing what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. What's unfolding in real life becomes less relevant to you than what you believe is unfolding according to your template. I'm having a thought of that's what happens when you try to automate things. Mm-hmm. You try to lean too much on a tool. Automation is great in so many different areas, but when it comes to feelings or these interpersonal, these connections, mm-hmm. You can't automate it because that's when you start to get all these faulty programs. You lose your curiosity yeah. and your flexibility. And the nuance of being around other people because we we are not automated creatures. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we would all rather rely on a formula. Hell yes. I think. <laughs> work but... harder, not smarter, baby. <laughs> Wait, work smarter, not harder. Um. I also have um, – you find what you look for, and it's that whole mm-hmm. – um, Self-verification theory. Yeah, and like what is that? Red car theory. 
theory too, where when you talk about or think when you're thinking about something, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's also a confirmation bias is one of the major um, things to look for in research. One of the um, major issues to look for in research is in things to avoid when doing research with human studies is um, with human people is well actually in all studies it doesn't matter whether or not you're studying human behavior or anything else where you only accept data that confirms your hypothesis mm-hmm. so um it's a thing i have put on here avoidant people avoid people parentheses duh <laughs> and then as a result are sometimes avoided by people parentheses double duh <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy and I'm saying that to myself because, not because, oh, gee, this is so obvious. I'm saying that because this is so obvious and yet so far out of my everyday consciousness. It's so weird to me that you identify as avoidant. I don't know if I do. Okay. Because- I I mean, I can see some of it, but honestly, I'd put you more towards- secure if anything i am afraid that as soon as i start to think i'm secure right the universe is gonna go oh you sweet summer child (laughs) hello emily remember that time when you thought everything was great and fine and you were doing super well well here's your shit sandwich i don't i try not to tempt the fates too much (laughs) um it's just, but it, because some a lot of these avoidance things that they talk about, I'm like, I don't see that in Emily. But I think some of that too, though, is because she talks about how our attachment style isn't just for others or our caregivers or our friends. It's to ourselves yeah. and to our own emotions. Mm-hmm. When she said that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to need a second. Yeah. Our attachment to our own emotions and how that affects our ability to trust ourselves mm-hmm. and attach to ourselves and love ourselves and belong to ourselves. And that it's, 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 it's then ripples. reflected in your friendships, Gosh, your external tears relationships. of attachment mm-hmm. instead of tears of friendship. When I, I just want to, I just want to think about attachment to emotions for, for a minute mm-hmm. and everything that we talk about here uh, with attachment Instead of attachment to a person, attachment to your feelings. So if an avoidant person comes across something and they assume that that's going to hurt them. A feeling. A feeling, mm-hmm. right? It could be when we're especially, I mean, like we can talk about people and mm-hmm. then, right? Like you meet someone on the street and you assume that person's going to hurt you. Well, then you meet that feeling or you experience that feeling and prediction. You ass- that prediction and you assume it's going to hurt you, mm-hmm. you're going to push it away and you're going to shut down and, and numb from it or avoid it or pretend it doesn't exist. And that, but we know that that doesn't just, that doesn't actually make them go away. Just like it doesn't actually make people go away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does, but it's not the way it's a bandaid over a bullet hole. Mm-hmm. And if you can't trust your feelings, then you can't trust people. Mm-hmm. You can't trust your assessment of other people. And how that is for anxious people. Because it's easy for me to think about that with avoidant people, but a little more difficult with anxious attachment. Because 
of the whole clinginess. And it, and that I'm realizing in this moment is why I think a lot of times I'm so drawn to the severe emotions. I'm drawn to the extremes because I'm worried they're going to go away and mm. I'm not going to feel anything. Say more. I it's no secret that I struggle with understanding the concept of peace and how sometimes peace to me feels like depression mm-hmm. or numbness because I don't know what that calmness feels like. I know what it feels like to be super angry. I know what it feels like to be incredibly sad. And I know what it feels like to be just stupidly happy. And I call it manic. It's not Mm -hmm. clinically manic, but that's the word that I use that helps me understand it. So peace to you represents an absence of feeling. Yes. Because my feelings are impulsive. Mm -hmm. Well, all everyone's feelings. First of all, everyone's feelings are impulsive. Feelings are impulses. That's what they are. Mine are tend to be a little bit more rapidly shifting. And so I don't know if I can trust this feeling sometimes. Like, can I trust being happy? Like, I don't know what what's going to happen. Or am I really mad? Or is this just some hormonal reaction? Or is this just, you know, my ADHD making things like gaslighting myself and all that? So I don't trust them because I don't know how long they're going to last. If we went back to the internal family systems episode, it would be like everybody in Inside Out fighting over the controls. Yes. Yes. And that – I never really put that together with abandonment and and me clinging to some of these feelings, whether they're happy feelings or sad feelings or angry feelings, out of a sense of fear that I'm just going to be left with nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, Laura, please make a note of this. <laughs> We're going to talk about this in therapy. Um, my little Laura note for the week that you will enjoy. After therapy on Wednesday, she said, "Do you have any? How do you? What do you? How do you feel about today's session?" And I was like, "Not nothing. Like mm-hmm. not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Like nothing bad. I, nothing particularly good. I'm like, at a five. Yeah. I was just like, I don't uh, nothing. And she was like. Annalise, that's an answer. Just like when you ask Emily if she has any final thoughts and she says no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And I was like, oh my God, Emily's going to love that. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to talk about that in therapy, I think. And it talks, um, we relate to our own feelings better so we can allow other people to be full people and full selves and that being a sign of secure attachment. When we're secure in our own feelings, we can allow other people to be themselves. Even if that means moving in and out of the different tiers of friendship. Right. You can allow people to be fluid mm-hmm. in their tier of friendship. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that just harken back to anytime you try to gain control externally, you lose because the only thing you can control is yourself mm-hmm. and internally. If you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, right, you right? can control yourself. Right? You, it's, it's some fucking That's work. That's an ongoing process. I like to quote, I think it was Amanda that said, we act in ways that fulfill the prophecy of our greatest fears. Mm-hmm. The anxious attachment operates from the fear of you're going to abandon me. 
The avoidant operates from the fear of you're going to hurt me if I let you in and give you power. And again, remembering that this is also our attachment to our emotions. So the anxious being attached to their emotions in a way that you're going to abandon me. Mm -hmm. And the avoidant being attached to their emotions in a way that if I let you in, in have power and control, you're going to fuck things up. This feels like a good place to mention. She says the issue isn't that you have this mm-hmm. coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. The issue is that you use it indiscriminately. Yes. Yep. The issue is not that you have some hesitancy about people mm-hmm. or that you have some concern that you might be hurt. The issue is when you make that an expectation. Yeah. It's a rule, the rigidity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have echoed that sentiment in so many other areas. Yeah. Whether it was talking about the Enneagram or love languages. It's not so much that you know that you're a two. Mm-hmm. It's when you insist that you're a two and you can only relate to things as a two. Or it's not that you know that your love language is words of affirmation and so you can only accept mm-hmm. words of affirmation from people that that's the extreme that's too much in one basket anytime you balance. try to apply a rule across the board yeah you're probably headed in the wrong direction right yes i also um the next thing i wrote down <clears throat> was this interesting story she talks about a a friend who said, don't just leave. Mm -hmm. And Glennon was like, did you hear what she said? Can you believe? believe? I can't promise I'm not going to leave. And Abby was like, she didn't say that. She didn't say, just don't leave. She said, don't just leave. Meaning. Words matter. Don't leave without trying something else first. Mm -hmm. Don't ghost me. Right. Like, listen, Don't just walk away. Mm -hmm. You can walk away, but maybe give some explanation or some context or some insight. Like, help me help you. Give me the chance to Mm -hmm. meet the needs, even though it's a little scary. And then if I can't do it, then, you know, blessings on your day. Right. That reminds me of Sarah Bareilles and Joe. Do you remember? Oh, my God. She was always trying to break up with Joe. And he said... If we're not right for each other, okay. But what was the fuse box thing? Oh, when the lights go out, you, you don't, don't replace just move out of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You check the fuse box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. When something goes wrong, you don't just abandon the whole thing. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You see if there's a solution here. And then if there isn't. Yeah, maybe if you just got a faulty baby, like it's just a bad baby, (laughs) then you can throw it out with the bathwater. But you kind of need to check it first to make sure that it's really is a a bad baby or maybe you're just, you know, like not meeting its needs the way it needs to be met. We here at We Can Do Pod Things do not endorse throwing out your baby. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Let's talk about flaccid safety, which I... Can't say without laughing, but I I'm I I can be mature. I can mm. do hard things. <laughs> I can't do classic <laughs> things though. <laughs> okay, um, and dynamic safety. Was yeah. that the same thing as packaged vulnerability, Mm-mm. or is that different? Okay, I don't think so. Flas, well, maybe. Flaccid safety is we're close because we pretend we have no problems. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's very adjacent mm-hmm. to that. 
dynamic safety is we're close because we rupture and repair. And that research shows that people who have more conflict in their relationships actually have more intimacy and more satisfaction because they're operating from that data set of it's safe for me to tell you when something's upsetting me because we're going to work through it and and come back out on the other side. That's something that we're going to talk about more on the next episode because in in her next episode, she talks a lot about the difference between conflict and combat. Mm. And I, I can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. I it also just as I was saying that out loud, it makes me think about the stress cycle mm-hmm. and how similar that is to the stress cycle. And we're like, if you don't push through the discomfort and do and expend the expel the energy, it's a half cycle, mm-hmm. and you're and and you're not actually going to get rid of the stuff. Yeah, just sits somewhere in your body. Yeah, pollutes your energy. Yes, drawing. All of your energy away from all the other thing, or drawing not maybe not all your energy, but slowly zapping your energy away to other places, mm-hmm. like a parasite. This whole flaccid safety, though, I want to go back to because I th- I think there are some times where we're like, man, like we get along so well, we never fight, we never argue. And sometimes that's I don't even know. Okay, listen. So I think is it the right kind of hard? Right. And also, but why do you never fight? Mm -hmm. Is it because you just don't ever talk about anything that could ever potentially Mm -hmm. be like controversial or or something like that? That is the illusion versus reality. That is debating about something that has no relationship to you. Or that you don't have a personal feeling about either way and saying, look, I can I can be involved in conflict. Mm-hmm. That's not really- And maybe people who say we never fight mean we're never in combat. Mm. Right. But right. maybe they do have conflict. I have to assume right. that everybody has some kind of conflict. Yeah. I can't – I'm interested to hear how that combat versus conflict because – I would say that we never fight, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that we never experience conflict. Right. Hopeful conflict. You guys hear some of our conflict sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 rupture and repair all the time. Our ruptures just aren't as big. Mm-hmm. Because we repair all the time. Mm. And because we address the conflict and the cracks and the and the uncomfortableness mm-hmm. before it gets so big. And that's this talking about anxious versus avoidant in conflict and how it ends up just reinforcing this concept that feelings and conflict conflict aren't safe because yeah. anxious will wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and push and push and push it push it down and say oh well it must be my fault so you know i'm not going to say i'm just going to get over it i'll just get over it i'll just get over it until they can't get over it and then they explode mm-hmm. and they're just completely combative and then the person who's avoidant experiences that and goes, well, look, I always knew it. I always knew that conflict was not safe. Expressing needs was not safe. And so now I'm never going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then and on and on we go. Right. I think that's part of the reason that it's hard for you to see me as an avoidant because mm. in our dynamic, I'm usually not. Yeah. But in other dynamics, I am probably a textbook avoidant. So I would say maybe in our relationship, you're secure. Mm-hmm. 
That's all I needed to hear. I'm the best. <laughs> Not to toot our own life. horn, but like, like right, like this is this is the best of <laughs> your in our lives. Uh, she talks about a lot of attachment is related to early caregiving, but we also see a genetic component. Generational trauma has entered the chat again. Back to that bingo card, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Like, it, but and I think some of it is she talks about that cycle continuing and we've talked about it before like our, when our parents are a certain way then we are modeled a certain way mm-hmm. and on and on we go but then sometimes it's also genetic in a dna kind of way mm-hmm. i think that's interesting more about that probably later not today i liked when she mentioned that our friends are expansions of ourselves mm-hmm. and who we want to yes. be. Inclusion of others in the sense of self. Where did I write that down? Because I, I also wrote that down. And basically that you you get to know yourself better through your quality friendships. And you yeah. learn who you want to be. Through your quality friendships. Yeah. We pick people that we really want to be friends with based on things that we admire about Mm -hmm. them and want to emulate ourselves. And how that then still requires you to know yourself and Mm -hmm. love yourself. And what is motivating your desire to be like this person? Is it because you want – you love yourself enough to – want to develop that skill or Mm -hmm. is it because you hate yourself so much you just want anything you want to pick anything other than the way that you are right yeah i think that idea is probably an indicator of how you can sort of know if someone is a good friend or good company Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good company is someone that you want to paste copy paste Mm -hmm. and good friend is someone that you want to you want to shape you want to shape like I don't know what I'm saying there. Uh, I do want want to note where she says secure attachments seem to be decreasing as technology use increases because we're not getting that alone time with ourselves to develop emotional regulation because you can avoid it Mm. with technology. So you don't get that alone time to sit with your thoughts and try to decide how do I feel about this because you can just be like, well, I don't like the way I feel, so I'm going to go scroll TikTok for three hours Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to go to bed and – it's gone. Hooray. We don't have to sit and wonder like, what's this about by ourselves? Yeah. Because we could also just crowdsource it and be like, hey, I feel about this thing. What do you think? What do you feel? And then all of a sudden we're just completely detached from our own feelings. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We can worry about this person's problem or whatever. And we don't actually have to sit down and ask ourselves, why do I feel uncomfortable about this? Mm -hmm. Is this a boundary or is this a growing edge? What about this makes me uncomfortable? What does that say about me? And what kind of questions do I need to be asking myself to find the answers? I'm realizing, I think, that it is not – it's kind of a chicken and the egg Mm. thing. One doesn't happen before the other. They happen together. Mm -hmm. You don't fully know yourself and then you can be open to friendships. And you don't have friendships first, and then you get to fully know yourself. Mm. They happen together. 
Mm-hmm. They happen at once. Yeah, and that can be really frustrating for people who very much need step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. And I've got to master step one before I can move on to step two. Yeah. Because if it's like you have some fundamental knowledge of step one enough to get you to step two and then you might fuck up step one but like be really good at step two mm-hmm. and then people who have to perfect every single and fine-tune all of these little aspects yeah. before they allow themselves to move forward may or may not be me sometimes. That's a, that's going to be really frustrating mm-hmm. and difficult to buy into because like you can't – that doesn't support your framework for thinking. Right. Maybe the step one is just openness. Openness to knowing yourself better. Openness, openness to, to knowing, knowing other people better. Maybe that's step one. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe not. No, I think – Because sometimes even when you're not open to that stuff, it finds you anyway. Yeah. It's almost like – But that's less likely, I would say. Because like I want to say love, but like you can't love without openness. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those things where we're not ever actually going to nail down. Yeah, we're just going to keep circling the bowl. Mm Mm-hmm. I hate those things. I do too. Give me concrete answers. And I think when we're thinking about like trusting ourselves and trusting our friends and loving ourselves and loving our friends and being in accepting and openness and all that, there's also a component to that of are we using our friends to regulate our own emotions? Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Well, she says using your friends as a means to soothe your inner world. Mm. If you don't have the strategies or the tools to do that for yourself, you may expect your friends to do that work for you. Hey, yo, it's Liz Gilbert mm-hmm. talking about I use this person as a drug. Yeah. This person is my stimulant. This person is my sedative. Mm-hmm. When we're using people rather than for whatever self-serving purpose rather than engaging with them. Although I don't know because you, 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 I don't know because we are attracted to friendships that make us feel good. But then sometimes friendships don't make us feel good. Like sometimes when we have difficult mm-hmm. conversations, I don't feel good. And that doesn't make me want to be your friend any less. It doesn't make me question like, you know, is this Emily Chick really for me? I don't know. I think you can use or you can expect your friends to walk your path with you, but not for you. Right. It's sitting in the dark versus turning on the light. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense, and she says this, if you're an anxious attachment, you really do feel like I need these people mm-hmm. in order to regulate my emotions mm-hmm. because – I don't believe that I can do that on my own. Mm. I depend on these people to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to them and it's not fair to you. No, absolutely. I think, yeah. Do you think that anxious attachment tends to use people more than avoidant? I would probably say... I would prefer to use the word depend on people more than use people, I think. Okay, say more about that. I just don't like the 
connotation of the word use. That Mm -hmm. implies to me like it's deliberate or malicious. And I don't believe that that's the case. I mean, why do you, what, what is it about anxious people that means they're using, they're, 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 they're depending on their friendships to regulate their emotions more? I think it depends on, so. Repeat your question again. If we know that we, that people can use their friendships to regulate their emotions, who is more likely to do that? The anxious person or the avoidant person? To be dependent on their friends. Mm-hmm. I, th- my knee-jerk reaction is to say that anxious people may be more desperate for that, whereas avoidant people are more comfortable avoiding. They don't need friends because they're avoiding. Yeah. That was my initial belief, In fact, too. having friends around is almost uncomfortable for them because mm-hmm. then it makes it harder mm-hmm. to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. So nobody's got it easier than anybody right, else right, in right. that scenario, but it manifests differently. See, because initially I thought too that like if you're talking about who's going to have more connections and friend- friendships and who's going to be used because who's going to be using that, <clears throat> obviously the anxious people are the ones that that are codependent. In it- either situation – the person who's experiencing the emotion is not doing the work. Right. The, the question that we is should saying, is how they're using for their me. friends. Yes. The anxious person is saying to their friend, do this work for me. The avoidant person is saying, well, then how about neither of us do this work? I see. I think completely. I think the perhaps the avoidant person is saying, help me avoid this. Mm-hmm. And do the work for me, and that you're just—it's dis- distracting me. Yeah, could be. So they rely on the friendships and connections as a source of distraction, mm-hmm. rather than a source of soothing. Yeah, it's soothing through numbness versus soothing through processing mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because initially, I thought it was the same thing. Like anxious, like okay, so I'm I'm going to be like trauma dumping on everybody and I'm going to constantly be seeking for validation from my friends, which avoidant is literally the opposite of that, right? Like mm-hmm. avoidant is withdrawing and, and more independent and I'm an island into myself. But the illusion of, I don't know if it's really the illusion of, friend, I guess it kind of is the illusion of friendship. It's an inauthentic friendship mm-hmm. when you go to this person and we have no conflict because we don't talk about anything conflicting. Or the things that we talk about that we do, like debate, are still pretty superficial. Mm-hmm. Unless it's packaged vulnerability. All right. Say more about that. So she talks about how sometimes because we know that maybe a hallmark of a good friendship is some kind of shared vulnerability, we might be tempted to take a shortcut and offer up something that seems like it could be vulnerable, mm-hmm. but really and truly doesn't feel vulnerable to us. Mm-hmm. But we can present it as vulnerability mm-hmm. and fool people into thinking that it's vulnerability. So they think that they're getting a snapshot of something deep within us, but really it isn't. Mm. Did that make sense? Yes, it did. To me, I was thinking about when Glennon talks about. It's a fake handbag. Yeah. It's a convincing fake, but it's a fake. 
where she's like, I thought I was being vulnerable. I mean, I, I, I mean, I told this person I had an eating disorder. I told this person, you know, like I was now I'm an alcoholic mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I'm an addict. And so I, I thought that was being vulnerable. Yeah. But, and that goes back to you being like, what am I just supposed to be a raw nerve all the time? Like mm-hmm. what is vulnerability? Yeah. Is that just me just blurting out everything? Cause back? I'm never going to do that. And, right. And because some of that is oversharing. Mm-hmm. Some of that is on the anxious side of it, more trying to forge and manipulate some sort of emotional response and connection with your sob story. Yeah. That's not really vulnerability. That's that prepackaged vulnerability. And she said this thing where vulnerability is more how I feel in the moment, not just retelling something in the past. And also, it assumes some amount of existing safety. Mm. And this is a good lead-in into the next episode because they expand more on that, this idea that you can't use vulnerability to create safety and connection. Mm -hmm. You offer vulnerability in situations where there is existing safety and connection. Yeah, and that reminds me a lot of of Brene Brown's hot wiring connection. Mm and. Rather than building on it with the different elements of trust, the braving, you just immediately, well, her example is that saying like, if you can't say anything nice, come sit next to me and where Mm -hmm. we like bond over our mutual dislike of something or someone or whatever. And we're we're just shitty and bitchy together, which Mm -hmm. let's not, let's not lose sight of the fact that sometimes that can be helpful, but that's hot wiring connection versus building a real connection. Mm-hmm. And I that so that's similar to that. That's hot wiring safety. Yeah. It's not real safety. And um I are are we sure Glennon is anxious attachment or is she disorganized cuz she talks a lot about some of the avoidant stuff too. I was going to say I thought she was avoidant. I think she's disorganized. Yeah. So I think she's a little I think Could she's be. a little column A, little, she's on my team. <laughs> So I all this is getting to be a, a bit of a longer episode, but honestly, I think that's okay because the last few episodes we've had have ended up being somewhat shorter. Mm-hmm. In one of our other episodes about attachment, we talk about the phrase, the rich get richer. And people with secure attachments just continue to forge and have secure friendships and relationships. And the people who don't, if we don't make a concentrated effort to heal or change, we just continue with the same dynamic that we were introduced mm-hmm. to. You get out what you put in. Mm-hmm. If you invest in people this energy of generosity, you're going to reinforce that generosity and authenticity with your friends. But if you invest in the energy in people that they can't be trusted or um, I can't be my truest self and I can't be authentic because either – you're assuming that they're always one foot out the door and you're trying to emotionally manipulate them to stay or you're overly guarded and carefully curating and prepackaging vulnerability you get the same energy in return which is that people sense that it's not safe to be authentic around you you're not authentic with them and they're not with you and like you can't use that as your data to confirm your hypothesis. Like you can't say, look, I have friends. I did this. I did these friendships. I did the thing that you told me to do. Mm -hmm. I went out and met people and talked to them and I'm still miserable. And it's still 
upsetting. Well, did you really put in your the best effort? Mm-hmm. Or did you... Were you going through motions? Mm-hmm. Or were you actually open to the experience? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to get in what you put out. And it's, it's the same... You're going to get what you put in. I don't know. And if you're not... Like we said earlier, if you're not someone... It is not a situation where you have to be fully developed mm-hmm. before you can find friends. Mm-hmm. You just have to, if there is a step one, it is openness. Yes. Give openness and then people will receive it. Yeah. I, I love cats. And return it. Right. And return it. I like cats as an analogy for people and for friends because a lot i have a, my little dumpster goblin Brittany, was mm-hmm. just so scared all the time hid under the bed i mean because she had never she hadn't experienced a lot of safety around humans if any before and the more i just sat there and let her come to me and i offered her a treat and i respected her space but she still had to acknowledge the desire to move forward mm-hmm. and and put in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And now that bitch won't leave me alone. And I'm glad because she sleeps on top of me and is like my extra weighted blanket that purrs and is warm. And I love her because she's beautiful. But if she had always been in that state of freeze or fear or unsafety, and been like, I'm never going to go any further. See, I imagine cats as the avoidant attachment style. For sure. And dogs as the an- the anxious attachment oh, style. Absolutely. Definitely. I don't know who the disorganized one is. <sighs> Maybe uh, um, raccoons? Sure. That seems right. That seems like a thing. Yeah. But I, I just... you. It still requires bravery in the... you. You don't have to go like mm-hmm. balls to the wall, like all in or not on mm-hmm. friendships, but you do still have to have a little bit of curiosity and and bravery to inc- incrementally increase your discomfort. Yeah. To generosity to yourself and yes. generosity to the people that you are encountering. Exactly. Because like so mm-hmm. many other freaking things in our lives, you can't do for others what you don't do for yourself. Bah. So rude. Where's the freaking manager? <laughs> it's very perks of being a wallflower, though, and we accept the love we think we deserve. Yeah. I didn't read the fine print before I signed on for all of this. I didn't read any of this. I couldn't read. I was a baby. I'm smart, but I, I'm not jack smart, like, reading at 18 months old. Uh, she talked about the likability fallacy. Can we mm-hmm. talk about that real quick? Yeah. Like, the liking gap, where we underestimate how liked we are by others. And then finding that not only that, but the more critical we are of ourselves, the more pronounced the gap is in how much we assume that people like or dislike us. Think about how often we've been told that that's ego. Mm. So we push back from that Mm -hmm. because that's been presented to us as if it's ego to think that people are going to like you. Uh Mm Self-confidence and and self-esteem and the whole... Sunday school lesson on self-esteem and how self-esteem was sinful and for women especially. Mhm. Because who benefits from that? Mhm. 
we if we don't like ourselves, then we're going to constantly be seeking for validation outside of ourselves. Yeah. And when we're talking about friendship, the men and the folks who identify as men, they've got their own set of for stuff sure. to overcome. I don't want to gloss over that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are not always taught to be open and vulnerable and in touch with feelings. We know that. You know, do you know what I would fucking love mm. if we had a guest on our podcast that was a man who would be willing to sit down and talk about some of these things with us. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening and you identify as male and you are are just dying to sit in between the two of us for conversations in like Emily's this. basement. Form a line with WWE SmackDown going on just <laughs> on the other side of the wall. Yeah, hit us up. But seriously, though, I do want to know. I want to know more about how this affects men. I want to know more about what the what a men's experience is and how that differs from women's. Because when we start to understand the struggles that the other side, quote unquote, goes through, then we can figure out how to solve the problem together. Yeah. We promise to come at this from a position of learn being learners. Yeah, for sure. We're not I mean, trying to grill anybody. No, if you haven't figured that out yet, like let us m- make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, self-verification f- theory too, that um, I will surround myself with people that feel the way that I believe feel about the way I believe feel about me the way I feel about me, mm-hmm. whether that's good or bad. When it's, I only surround myself with people who kiss my ass and and butter me up and all that. That's an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Then the opposite side of that, though, is surrounding yourself with people who are negative, because that feels like home. Mm-hmm. And no people who just genuinely don't like you or act like they don't like you because you don't like yourself. That one was kind of challenging for me because there's, there's got, I mean, there's a balance there, right? Like I don't want to surround myself with, and I don't want to attract a partner who is constantly critical of me and putting me down and, and always challenging me. But I do want a little bit of challenge, but I want someone that also likes me because Mm -hmm. I like me. Conflict versus combat. Yeah. Right. But there, then when you have those people who like can't hear I love you or are uncomfortable with words of affirmations because they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then – or the other side of that being I only surround myself with people that gas me up all the time. But I – but it's not because I actually love myself. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Interesting. But if you use that as your example of – See, this this is basically your biggest resource for getting through things is your ability to connect, according and that's something Amanda said. And so self-protection can turn into self-harm. Mm-hmm. If you're using If you're this, using your defenses indiscriminately. Yes. Then it's gonna turn into self-harm because of this whole self-verification theory. And your sense of belonging is never going to be greater than your ability to accept or understand yourself. Oh, I'm so glad you remembered 
to squeeze that in here yeah, somewhere. That's the tie-in. Yes. Because and this is very this is the same. Your sense of attachment to yourself is never gonna be or your sense of attachment to others is never gonna be greater than your sense of attachment to yourself. Your ability to love others is mm-hmm. never going to be greater than your ability to love yourself. What you put in to yourself and what you deserve and are worthy of is is what you're going to be able to offer to other people. The cap on what you can receive is relational to what you put out. Yes, exactly. I also have in all capital letters, you don't know the value people will bring to your life if you never allow yourself to experience it. Mm -hmm. So like, but for me, that's kind of scary because that's hearkening like when you let people see your mess and they choose to love you, how rewarding that can be. But the other side of that is you let people see your mess and they go, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. How hurtful that is. And and I wonder if it's less about you show someone your authenticity and your mess and your self-love and they see you doing that and they go, "Mm, I I can't even do that for myself. Why would I do that for you? Mm -hmm. Or like that, that all, that's, that's weird. We don't do that. Why do you love yourself so much? Why are you so okay with being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. That seems very weird and unsafe to me. Maybe it's a little bit more that than that they see your mess and they genuinely don't want to love you. Yeah. I don't know. It goes back to that whole, how much can you do for yourself? If I can't do that for myself, why am I going to do it for you? Yeah. On its face, it's just rejection. Right. But if you maybe dig a little deeper it's probably not even – it was never that serious. It was never that <laughs> serious. It's not personal. Right. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of, of when I was talking to Laura once about <clears> – I can see somebody's mess. I see this person's mess and I choose to love them anyways. And how scary that can be for someone who doesn't mm-hmm. love their mess isn't even willing to acknowledge that there is a mess to begin with. Like you come at me with all of this intense emotion and support and like insight into my life. And why do you fucking know me so well? What's your motive? Mm -hmm. What ulterior motive do you have to loving me? What ulterior motive do you have to knowing why I am the way that I am? Because you're clearly going to be doing that to hurt me Mm -hmm. because I don't even acknowledge that. And she taught, this goes back to, and this will be a good segue to the next, um, episode because she figured out, Glennon said she started to figure out all these things about her life, like where her injuries were by spending time with other healthy women. That helped her identify within herself the things that she needed to work on. How fucking scary is that? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, when you're in a place where you're able to do that and and you know kind of this is going to happen and you're seeking it out, that's great. But when you're, when you just kind of stumble upon that and you didn't, know that that was going to happen and you're not in a place where you're able to be working on that or whatever, that's got to be so scary. Mm-hmm. And then that would explain why a lot of people are like, nope, fuck this. Nope, 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 nope. I don't need to acknowledge anything is wrong with me. I would rather not see it at all than get into this thing, have to see it, and then be able to unsee it. Your vulnerability and love for yourself challenges my reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to – I don't want to see that. Yeah. 
Hmm. Emily, do you have any final thoughts? I'm so glad that we didn't try to pack two episodes right? Like we would <laughs> into this conversation. And Weekend retreat. <laughs> I am so excited to continue this conversation with our next episode. I am as well. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you decide to come back next week. And we hope maybe one of you maybe wants to come back with us next week. I don't know. Like, like hit us up. Beat me. What was that? Beat me. Text me if you want to reach me. <laughs> I think that's the second week in a row that I've done Kim Possible. Maybe that was two weeks ago. Either way. I mean, a little old for Kim Possible. So. I was too, but my friend Jackie does not shut up about that song, in which I don't understand because Jackie is also too old for Kim Possible. So I don't know why she knows it so well, but whatever. Um, I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And this has been We Can Do Pod Things. Thank you. <laughs>